Lots TV Book Club podcast. I'm Becky Cullen. And I'm Jada Morton. And sitting here with us is also the very wonderful Kai Northcott. And we're going to have a bit of a chat about Holly Williams's novel, What Time Is Love? And the answer to that is? All the time. All the time. Do you know the song 3am Eternal? No. I think that's what time love is, but... Yeah. Or what time was it, Chico time? Yeah, it could be that. Could also mean love. Could be I've had the time of my life. Being in love. I've never felt this way before. <laughs> could be all these things. But anyway, so this morning we recorded a special one hour show from the new Central Library. I know. Wow, what a place of ultimate swanky libraryness. It's just so beautiful and wonderful. Um spent many a Saturday afternoon doing some writing and reading there since it started. You? Yeah. Yeah. If I can find a seat, it takes me about ten minutes to find a seat. You just have to walk around a couple of times. Because uh -huh. it's so popular all the seats taken out. Oh really? On Saturdays, yeah. It's uh... They made a point of saying to me today that they were freelance friendly. Yeah. I think lots of people are working from there, which is great, mm. isn't it? Yeah. I went the other day, did some writing. Um, the guy next to me was applying for a job and the girl to the side of me was doing her A-level coursework. She was wow. like painting. Wow. They've just opened up that like beautiful play area as well that connects yeah. sort of the back road where the college is to the front of where Broadmarsh used to be, like up to the train station. Yeah. And it's really going to like bring the city together. Yeah, I think it's great. Open. I think you can get into, the, maybe you can get into the children's library that way. Maybe. Along the side. Yeah. I love the children's library. I know. <laughs> There's something really tactile about those mm. trees, those silver birches. They're lovely. And we got to see the room with the dinosaurs in. <gasps> what a room. Magical. I mean, I'm going to spoil the magic of television now mm. because we pretended that we <laughs> we had been round the library earlier yeah. on today with Jaden. To put the extract into the show, but actually we went past to eat, didn't we? We did, yeah. And there was a dinosaur um, exhibition in one of the rooms. It's just a room with... Dinosaurs projected all over it. Yeah. I'm moving house soon and I'll be redecorating my new bedroom, so yeah. I'm taking notes. Need You're going to have some dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> dinosaur room. That would be quite good. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be something. Yeah. We have dinosaur sheets. Dinosaur lampshade, or will you keep it all neutral and just I think change I'll, I'll the keep it all completely white mm. and then just project dinosaurs onto everything. And then if mm. I want something else, I can have something else. You have them like the Teletubbies underwater, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teletubby steam bedroom, dinosaur theme bedroom, yeah. you know, everything a 26 year old man would need. Yes, that's right. The Teletubbies, um. So it was very exciting this morning to see, to have an audience of real people. Yes. I think it made a bit of a difference. It, it felt different to me. Did they like laugh and cheer? They clapped when yeah. encouraged. Mm -hmm. They did, there was some, do you think there was some spontaneous clapping? Yeah, there was a bit of I wouldn't describe it as rapturous applause, yeah. but you know, it is a bit wearing, I think, if... If you're in that sort of thing, it's like being an actor because you do a lot of sitting around and waiting for people to be ready for you to do something for five minutes intensely and then yeah. you go off again. Was it boring, do you think, Kai? No, not at all. Did you have... It was, it was good. I think it's one of the best shows uh, 
One of my favourite bits of the show was the bit when we were walking around looking at the books, mm. which I could have done all day. I had so much fun. It was the highlight of last week for me. I did say that, frankly, I was surprised there's any books left on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there was genuinely, like, I know libraries are libraries, aren't they? But sometimes you think, actually, they have to appeal to kind of um, a, a broad bandwidth of taste. Yeah. But there were some challenging books in there as well that you, you know, you would... They weren't all mainstream books, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, I well, I um, when I'd first been to the library a few times, thought that the range was a little bit outdated, and I think that that's that's fine. We know libraries don't have a huge budget, but what what I didn't realise is around the corner at the start, mm. um, just opposite the sort of like first bit of like community workspace area, is a section of brand new books. Yeah. And I was like, oh, here are all the books I've been looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just was like slightly looking in the wrong place. Also, I. I went to look for Bellies by Nina Danan, which was recommended a few shows ago by one of the guests. And I was yeah. like, this book sounds fantastic. It's got like trans characters in, queer characters in. Um, I need to read this now. The plot looks so exciting. So um, went to the library and asked if they had it and they didn't. But um, one of the librarians said, oh, you can request it in from like another local library. So uh... requested it in, had to wait like a week, I think. And then when we went last week for our tour, I picked it up. Brilliant. Yeah. Had it come from Brighton? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Um, it's a long way to travel. I think it came from like the West Bridgeford Library or something. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. There we are. So, yeah. Do you remember you can, requ you can request books? You, yeah. You don't just and I did say you can take them back to any library, which I think is great. Yeah. Because that is my problem, forgetting to take books back. Yeah. It's, is there a library in Beeston or? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a library Sorry. in Beeston? <laughs> It's a great library, yeah. and actually they had, that's, I was thinking about it the other day because I was thinking that I don't read enough poetry, and I didn't, and that I didn't really have like a background of reading poetry, and then I remembered that when I was kind of 12 to 16, I used to go to the library all the time, mm -hmm. and uh, there weren't really many young adult books at that point in time, you went straight from reading Enid Blyton and uh, C.S. Lewis to adult books. There wasn't really anything in the middle. So I st that's when I started reading poetry. And I think I read the whole really? poetry shelf yeah. or the couple of shelves. And I didn't know what any of it was. I just kept reading it. And then um, they started having poets in Beeston Library. So I saw some quite famous people in that time. It's quite a legendary poetry series without really knowing who any of them were, yeah, you know, just absorbing poetry. So it's all in there somewhere, isn't it? It kind of just gets into your bones, really. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Got poetry in my bones. Do you remember, like, what, what were, like, the first books, the poetry books you read as well? Uh, I read my friend Candida Brudgenel McLeod, who now, she was, she was in my French yeah. group or German group, one of the two. It's a great name, isn't mm -hmm. it? Fantastic, yeah. Candida Budnell McLeod. 
She works for the city council now. She's something quite important. Some, yeah. some wonk or something. She's so, something. She does something quite yeah. important. But she introduced me to the Mersey poets, so the Liverpool poets. Yeah. So Brian Patton, Roger McGough and Adrian Henry. And Mark, and they were so accessible. I remember writing a po- uh, an assignment at sixth form about their war poems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Full marks. Uh, I can't really remember. I remember the wholehearted use of red underlining. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember what marks. Okay. <laughs> probably still got my mother's probably still got it somewhere. <laughs> and my mum came this morning. Really? Yeah. Uh, she was super nerve making. Yeah. Why? Well, just because, you know, you're aware of what you look like and oh. what you look like but and you don't want to look untidy and unprofessional and in front of your mum. In front of your mother I see that. I'm sure she was really proud. Yeah, I think she was. Yeah. She was like, that's my Becky. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Who's Rebecca? Oh, I'm sorry, Becky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. But we did have fun. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Mm. We should do it again. Yeah. And we should ask them if we can just go around the library as a regular thing. Because that was yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. We just, yeah, need to go nice and early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you read this book then? Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> So, I where I say this book, I'm just nodding, yeah. dear listener, to the book What Time Is Love by Holly Williams. Yeah. I liked it. I, I feel like I have a lot of questions for you. Yeah. Um, In a historical sense. <laughs> yeah. So, the 40s. Tell me about the 40s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. Um, no, where do we begin? So, so the book... Um, is split into three parts and very, very much like One Day by David Nichols tells the story of two people, Violet and Albert, who fall in love um, or like have an instant really beautiful spark um, or just like really massively fancy each other, however you want to, to call yeah. it. Um, and for different reasons, it doesn't work out. And the three stories happen in three different points of time um and the the general thread in the book is social class they have two they're both from different social classes and whilst the book kind of presents as like right like right person wrong time i think the underlying theme of social class is really really important um so yeah i found that really interesting um and I ended up today reading some of Holly Williams' essays on on social class in friendships and dating. And um, I just thought it was really, really interesting because I I didn't really pick up the social class element in the book until I read her essays. And I was like, oh, that's a really clever way of like presenting this issue. Um, so yeah, I liked it. I felt I felt really seen. So I I my family don't don't have a lot of money and I, I grew up really quite like quite poor a lot of the time um and now in my like you know I went to uni and I have like a salary job which I'm really grateful for um because it it does offer me like financial security but where I feel different to my to my friends that grew up wealthy is that um 
you know, like we joked earlier that I'm, I'm paying someone else's rent <laughs> with, my, with my salary. But um, I think that the like the everyday things like um, where I go for coffee, where we go for dinner, like that between me and my friends is kind of like there's not really an issue there. Like we when I mm -hmm. we all kind of can afford the same things. But then sometimes you turn around and someone's like, I don't I don't pay rent like or like um, they like have access to like property and like housing security in a way that is really really different to me and then like suddenly those people that I feel the same as um and I will bring this back to the book very quickly I promise but I, the people I feel the same as suddenly re I've realized how different we are like without that sort of like housing security and the access access to deposit money for a house um, and her essays that I read today all the essays or articles that she's written for for journalists on her blog oh anyone listening go read holly williams blog because i really enjoyed going through it today she, she writes so broadly but those essays really nailed that feeling whether i don't think the book did like i don't think the book carried the kind of used social class as a way to pull these people apart but i feel like because it was cornered into well not cornered yet yeah, split into three kind of small sections she kind of never finished the story, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, I, I just sort of wonder what one long... And I, I love doing this. I love being like, what version... What is the version yeah. of the book? So it's not really a criticism. I'm just more like, what do you think the version of this book is where we don't cut across time? We just, like, see how social class impacts these characters over 60 years, like, you know? Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So this morning in the show, we played a kind of imaginary game. Really? Where I said, right, let's carry on listing themes in this book. Yeah. And until we've run out, basically. Yeah. Because when I was thinking about what to write about, uh, what to ask the questions about, there were just so many themes. Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure which one to focus yeah. on or which one people would want to focus on. Because... It's so vast, you know, you're going from the foundations of, so for example, the Labour Party, you've got the foundations of the Labour Party, you've got Anaya and Bevan bringing in the National Health Service, you've got the way that the Labour activists speak over women, you've got the way that the family don't want the woman to go and be a Labour socialist, You've got, like, it goes on and on and on and on until eventually she becomes what we, like, one of Blair's babes, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the parliament. And that goes all the way through. But I, a bit like you, I felt that it's, it's a, the love story, it's all right to write a love story. Mm. for one set of people without needing necessarily to show this is how it's a really fascinating idea isn't it so again I'm not criticizing mm. but I felt the first narrative was really strong and that period of time I think is underwritten in literature mm. like yeah. post that post-war really hard rationing era yeah. Um, where things had changed but hadn't changed at mm. all. 
that's really fascinating. And in fact, the women's role in in the book yeah. is not any different. The expectations of her not any different to the expectations of women between the war. Mm. So I felt that it was tr it's a book which is trying to do an enormous amount mm. within its within its pages, and. They were saying in the show this morning, Hannah was saying in the show this morning that she really liked the development of the female character, Violet. But I don't know if she really developed because I don't know if she was... If she, she was I mean, she progressed characters. in terms of her status. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I don't think there was a, a necessarily a character progression. And then you think, okay... That's fine. I don't. That's absolutely fine. Again, it's not a criticism, but you could see the character of Rose developing depending on the circumstances that she was in in the different time periods. And I, I felt it was a bit much to expect of one book to achieve that. So again, it's not a criticism. It's a note of kind of, wow, this is incredibly ambitious, but actually. Oh, it's such a terrible thing. <laughs> such a terrible writerly thing to say. But actually, I think it's three books. Yeah, I, I think it's three in books. In one book. And I especially, like, I really loved the first section. Yeah. And I just, like, was really charmed by it. Yeah. The sort of, like, like the, the posh, like, historical Oxford, Oxford student? Yeah. What uni? I can't remember. I can't remember, yeah, but I think Oxford. it's Oxford. Um, Oxford student who um like is a bit fumbly and awkward so just, yes. like, i was really charmed by it and then it sort of got going and immediately we hit restart and i i had read the blurb but i kind of jumped straight into the book and then was trying to figure out what was happening yeah i, I thought they were like their children like their children like they've gone off and had separate children and, and these were like ancestors mm -mm -mm -mm. um and it took me a while just to buy the fact that these were the same people and and the book is a thought experiment in mm. what it would mean for these people to live in different times mm. um which is great yeah i think it's i think that's it's a clever. trilogy yeah you know i mean what a fantastic trilogy that yeah be. and i and i hate that we sometimes say this about books i don't know why i hate it but like fantastic tv show premise <laughs> like yeah um i think it is like one day but it's not in yeah. as well because that is the same characters on the same day for yeah. 20 years yeah maybe that's why this is not the same characters every mm. day for 20 years because if you like time and you like that idea of sliding doors moments mm. then you're thinking about how you play with that i think yeah. in in literary form yeah yeah what well what do you think the book would have been like if instead of having like three sort of compartmentalized bits there were sort of smaller chapters that intertwined do you think that would have worked or do you think it would have been a nightmare hmm. you mean still have the different time periods yeah i mean in a way it does do some of what you're saying doesn't it because it starts in those years, but it doesn't. Each section doesn't finish in those mm, years. Yeah, that's true. 
So you could just have it as a chronological narrative with the same characters. But well, how would you intertwine it? All right. Yeah. However, I thought some of the writing was really lovely. Mm. There was one line about an oozy booze of <laughs> the, boo the boozy ooze of mincemeat. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Did the book sort of impact how you felt about time in any way? Because I know you've written a, quite a I lot have, yeah. about time. Yeah. Um, no. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it made me think about history. Yeah. And who writes history. Yeah. Uh, but then I sometimes felt that there was a need for these characters to be demonstrating how unfair history was rather than living their lives. Yeah. And us coming to the conclusion that it was unfair mm -hmm. or different from how things are now. Yeah. Do you think that? Is that a fair so. comment around being really... No, I also asked you a weird question. So. That's all right. <laughs> Do you want to ask me any more weird questions? Um, I want to ask you if you believe in, like, romantic destiny. Hmm. Because the book kind of relies on romantic destiny yeah um, and in the end that's about a, ma a, a male and a female yeah getting together so it's very like regardless of the directions that it takes mm. within it's very heteronormative isn't it yeah but i don't i don't find that particularly i, I find it appropriate because the book is has this underlying question about like women's roles yeah um I just think it leaves, like, it just means that Arthur's character kind of needs to take a back seat and be a little bit redundant, though he does have his own Albert, sort of... Yeah. Does it Arthur? Albert. Albert, yeah. Bertie. Bertie, Bert, yeah. Al. Yeah. Um, yes. I've actually ended up feeling really sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but Holly's coming on the 20th of February. Yeah. Which is not long. So um, I will be. I will pick up some of these questions and send to it. So why did you write three books, Holly? Yeah. Three times. We want the... three books. <laughs> yeah, but maybe the maybe that's publishing as well. Maybe that was a kind of yeah. This will be a new approach, or yeah, I, I quite like that. It's got that sort of like romantic destiny is keeping them together. The social circumstances are pulling them apart. But that just happens three times. Yeah. Um, and so it's not heterosexual. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't. I see what you mean, but I think the book kind of is written in favour of that. Like, mm. if this was, if this book revolved around a queer couple, it would just be a completely different story. Would it? Um, it wouldn't be that feeling that there's someone there for you, and you can meet to cross your eyes, can meet and. Uh, you can fight against the odds and yeah. against society and... Now I kind of love that. <laughs> is that is that not what you get in a queer romance? Um, I think so. I think that they're pretty... I don't, re I don't read that much romance. Mm. Do, you, do you believe in romantic destiny? No, I don't. Don't you? Um, no <laughs> so i can tell you that the first time i saw my husband i looked yeah. up and i saw him walk across the room 
And I said to my friend, he's nice, what is his name? Yeah. Like, there was something about him. Yeah. You were just, like, drawn to him. I just thought, I want to know who you, who you are. Yeah. I love that. I... Let's check in in, in a couple of years, see what, see what happens. Yes, romantic destiny. Yeah. Yes or no? So far, no. <laughs> um, but However, yeah. <laughs> watch this space. Shall we move on to what yes. we're reading? I really want to move on to what we're reading because I'm reading The End of Nightwork by Aidan Cottrell Boyce. What the hell is it? So <laughs> it's, it's really quite relevant to the book that we, we've been talking about, What Time Is Love, because... It, of its um of its relationship to time and i think that like these books kind of these two books actually really compare because they have what i consider like a very strong like publisher's pitch like mm. if you want to pick like i can imagine through the publishing process holly williams went to her agent like i'm writing a book and the premise is one couple exist in three timelines and they're they're the same people um but they their social class interacting in these different points of time affects the story and the agent was like that's clever sharp easy to bring to publishers easy to bring to newsletters outlet like we can really build a discussion about this yeah before you've even finished writing yeah like um, I, that's that's one thing I really like about this book. Um, what time is love? Is that it's just I was sold instantly when I heard about the premise. Yeah, and it becomes a clever thought experiment. And the end of night work sort of has a similar pitchability to it. So mm-hmm. the pitch, tell us about pitching. The pitch is come on. This guy called <laughs> this guy called Paul um, has a genetic condition, which um, is like a hormonal. It's called it has a hormonal disorder. That is like basically means he undergoes rapid growth spurts in different points of time. So, as a child, he looks about six or seven until he's 13 years old. And then, when he's 13, he goes through a rapid puberty where he ages 10 years overnight, or not overnight, but in a a couple of days, he is a child in the body of a 23 year old. and then for another 20 years, he remains looking like this 23-year-old. Um, and the book kind of starts with him in his 30s. He's about to have a child, he's married, um, and he's got kind of like all the complex weirdness of a person, just a person that exists in the world. And, and the, the author has really captured this nicely, but then like slowly starts introducing the reader um, to his childhood as, as someone that rapidly became 23 at 13 mm. not emotionally only physically mm. and, and what it was like to the trauma of being looking like a 23 year old and being like mm. 14 15 trying to go to high school trying to finish mm. your primary school like it's really well captured um and what's looming what's looming over him throughout sort of like the central part of the book is he's his wife has had a child. The book actually is, is written as a letter to the child, which is really beautiful. Like, yeah, I love I, letters. I always, I always think it's really beautiful. Lovely um, epistolary moment. Yeah, it, um, it's lovely. But yeah, so he, he's had this child, um, and that's definitely impacted him the way he thinks about like genealogy and sort of 
ancestry, like he, he starts kind of feeling that very deeply. You can really feel that in the book. What is looming over him is his next sort of like hormonal shock. Where So what we know from the book is that people who have had this, who have this condition, when they're like a child, they have like a 10 year jump. And then at some point they sort of have like a 20, 30 year jump or a 40 year jump. Um, and you usually only have one or two like jumps in your life. So at any point, his body is... And is there any signs that it's happening? It's it going happens to happen. really quickly, like overnight sort of thing. Um, so at any point... Is it life... real? Is it real? No, it's not no, real. No, no, it's not real. But the book but it sounds real. makes it feel really real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he is sort of waiting in his yeah. 30s to wake up 70. And and what that kind of means for him... So 70 or or 40 or 50 or so you don't know like it's doubles each time you don't it? know oh, yeah okay. it's but yeah it's definitely the second one is much bigger um oh it sounds really good it's fun it's a fantastic book um, who is it by aiden cottrell boy boy is so, that frank cottrell boy's maybe i have no idea he um he used to be a member of the green party um, he ran as a parliamentary candidate for the Green Party, which is quite important in the book because the climate in the book, just like ours is, is slowly leaning towards moving towards catastrophe. Crackage, yeah. Um, and his body is sort of doing the same thing, like sort of like a wait, awaiting this disaster. Um, another really interesting part of the book, but I think I would maybe say it's a little on the nose, is there's this very sort of strange and potentially a little bit unbelievable like social tension between old and young generations mm -hmm. so older generations are slowly becoming second-class citizens and ageism is very very real but i don't like there's this sort of movement to like remove like certain rights from the elderly and certain access to public spaces which echoes because they're unsightly. Because they've not looked after the... Environment. Yeah. Oh, right, it's a punishment. Yeah, and it sort of echoes, um, like, civil civil rights movements. And it's just like, but that's not, like... This, this very real thing that happened to people of colour. Can you convince me it's, it's happening to the elderly? I don't know. The rest of the book is mm -hmm. fantastic. But... I'm a little bit like I'm a little bit lost in this as a thing, though. Like, is a very, it like it's very, um, it drives the plot very well because this guy in his early thirties is about to look seventy at any time. Yeah. And so jump... it's how that might impact him. But yeah. you would think, yeah, aging forty years overnight is enough to impact yeah. him anyway. <laughs> I know, <laughs> as if he's been through enough. But yeah, so he so he jumps from one from from one side of a sort of a civil rights issue to another um, in a way that's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. crazy. And then his relationship with his wife, once he looks older um, and the strain it has on him and his child and like, you know, dying early and essentially having a terminal illness. It, it's a lot and it's heavy, but I think the book just, the author just carries the book really, really well. So yeah. Why is it called The End of Night Work? The End of Night Work is a it's like a socialist piece of literature that the main character is kind of obsessed with. Um, 
that like carries throughout. Um, so nobody has to do night shifts anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a political book yeah. that doesn't exist in our world, but exists in this world. Mm. Um, and the, yeah, it's about sort of labour and the distribution of labour. It's slightly 1984-ish. Yeah, a little bit. I've, I've actually not read 1984, but... Um, yeah, that's got a political book inside a book yeah it's a slightly yeah so just a, i love i, I kind of love a book that creates just a slightly altered reality mm -hmm. where it's like the world is exactly like ours but yeah. this condition exists yeah, yeah yeah and it's just like that that notch of the dial of reality in a book yeah. i really love yeah we were talking kai's sitting here very patiently <laughs> but i'm we were talking about clara and the sun by Ishiguru, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a completely alien idea in a world which is extremely recognisable. Yeah. Which is where that kind of uncanny mm -hmm. valley exists. Yeah. Do you want to hear about a book that I've read? Yes, please. I've finished reading, I don't know if you've read it, The Bee Sting. No. So, The Bee Sting, I can't even remember who it's by. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, there's two Pauls who are on the Book of Fries list. One of them won, and it wasn't this one. Yeah. <laughs> Can't remember who it's by. Perhaps we'll Google it. Um, I was just going to Google it, but I found it. That's all right. But it's really big, and um, it's had loads and loads of hype. It was on the book shortlist. It's on the Rathbones Folio Prize shortlist or something like that, uh, or the Gordon Burns or yeah. something. And fatal error... Paul Murray. It says on it. What did that say? Kind a a tragicomic triumph. A brilliantly funny, deeply sad portrait of an Irish family in crisis from the author's if he dies. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't find it. I mean, it's not that I haven't got a sense of humour. Yeah, but not funny. I didn't find it funny. Mm -hmm. I just I, which is fine, isn't it? You know, there's different there's different senses of humour. But it's just been so hyped that I, I, and I just couldn't get into it. I found some bits of it really problematic. So it's basically a family in Ireland. Uh, the father has uh, not, not been able to manage his father's garage business um, effectively because of the crash and the economic downturn. His wife's quite disaffected. He's got two kids who are teenage, early and late teenagers, and they're going through their own kind of um, searches for identity. And then you find out about her family and his family, and and the bits about her family are, are really brilliantly written. And but it's so harsh because. There's lots of violence. She's grown up with lots of brothers. You know, that big drinkers, for example, involved in petty crime. And there's that kind of sense that actually fine, show show these, show show that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. And then uh what happens is that somebody moves into the area who's um from somewhere in Eastern Europe and he's kind of like a catalyst for all these things starting to go wrong. So it's like a malevolent mm. presence, if you like. But but after a while, 
I, and there's all sorts, there's sorts of flashbacks and you go back to their childhood and you find out that actually she was engaged, sorry, spoiler alert, <laughs> she was engaged to his brother. Damn. And he was at university in Dublin in a relationship with a man mm-hmm. and came back to the village and they and they got together, yeah. the, the widowed fiancé and him. Uh, and after a while I just thought, I don't know what this book is trying to do yeah this 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 character comes in and then there's this whole kind of eco theme in the background and survival mm. so what's it called um preppers that kind of oh, like, okay like yeah. getting Doomsday ready preppers. getting ready yeah. for the world to collapse yeah. but actually their world is already collapsing mm. and what causes the collapse is this outsider this foreigner who's quite a one-dimensional evil character. And I thought, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know whether I'm being a bit dim. And um, actually, the point is that you can't blame all your ills on an external influence. So is this a comment on being a small island and welcoming people in and dealing with that? And I I just lost patience with it, really. I finished it. Yeah. Yeah, you know when you read a book and you're like, how was it? Well, I read it. <laughs> I think my expectations were just enormously high because of everything that I'd heard about it. Yeah. But you see, Bernadine Evaristo says she thinks it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So am I just being contrary? Please read it. I, I want out. to like have a look at it just to see where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, no, it doesn't massively sound like something I would pick up anyway. But... Did, did it feel like, um, with this Eastern European outsider coming in, did it feel a bit xenophobic or was that not really the, the point? just felt like he was prepared to do anything to get what he wanted. Yeah. But he didn't necessarily need to be Eastern European to do that. Yeah. Or covered in tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. Or stealing catalytic converters. Yeah. Or threatening to black some, nice someone because they put it videos of them online on the porn sites. Blimey. I know. It's quite dark. Yeah. That's not funny. <laughs> it doesn't sound funny. <laughs> anyway, Kai's no. looking bemused there. <laughs> You're looking bemused, Kai. So anyway, that's what I'm reading. And now I've moved on to Zadie Smith because I've never read <gasps> Shock Horror Admission. I've never read White Teeth. Yeah, I've never I've not read White Teeth. So I'm reading White Teeth. Yeah. Good, bad. Great. Yeah. Only read two chapters so far. Yeah, you, you can tell in like three pages. Yeah, love it. Yeah, and finishing up the end of night work. Don't actually know how it ends yet. And I've also picked up um, bellies that I got from the ah. library. So it's, yeah. Well done. Weeks. I'm reading a book by a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where I went wrong. I'm all right now. I'm back with the women again. That's yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'm actually also reading The Psychology of Money. By? A man. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know his name, but uh, reading, listening to the audiobook of that because um, just I spend too much money. Yes. Spend all my pennies, spend all my wages. Yes. There's a sale on at the moment on the poetry business ebooks. Oh, really? And you can get them, some of them for 90p. Yeah. And they're like the first things written by people who have gone on to 
be super famous like Kim Moore and things. Wow, yeah. And you can get them really cheap. So I've done a bit of that to cut down on the poetry pamphlet mm. expenditure. Yeah. Mm. I think we're about done here. Mm. Our work here is done. It's been a long day today. Yeah. I'm glad we're enjoying our reading though. Yeah, always. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much for listening. And in the time that we've been talking, we've drunk one cup of tea, one cup of coffee, and I started to peel a satsuma, but then realised it was a bit disruptive, so stopped doing that. <laughs> so thank you very much, and uh, next time we will be discussing <gasps> Open Water by oh. Caleb Azuma Nelson, nice. which we're a bit fangirl about. I am anyway. I'm a big fan of Caleb. Yeah, this book... That book means a lot to me in ways that I will explain next week. No spoilers. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.